Well, good evening. We'll turn your Bible to Genesis chapter 2 this evening. It's been a great day. Thank you, Adam and praise team, Regen, and every other <laughs> choir, I mean, orchestra. It's been a great day for music, leading us in worship, preparing us for worship through preaching of the word. Um, I wanted to announce to you, I don't know if you have heard this, but you gave $361,000 for the Lottie Moon Christmas offering this year. Yeah. I had no concept of missions till I came to Lakeview. And through the leadership of Brother Al and the pastors, deacons, and you, uh, I left here 19 years ago with a heart for the nations. And a lot of that has to do just seeing how you give sacrificially to the nations. And you'll never know until heaven the impact you're even making on the college students uh, by that, that sacrifice. I know that fundamentally you're doing it out of obedience to the Lord and your love for the nations, but it has secondary benefits as well, and that's one of those. Well, let's pray and ask the Lord to bless this evening. Lord, thank you for the gift of song. We're told over 400 times to sing, and you know what you're doing when you tell us to do that. We are a singing people. We need to sing. And we as Christians have a new song that we sing, the song of redemption. Lord, thank you that we've been allowed to do that today freely and led by your spirit. We pray now, Lord, that this message would provoke song in our hearts. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Avatar was a 2009 science fiction film directed by James Cameron, the same guy who directed Titanic, and it was a, a visual masterpiece. Nothing like it had ever come out before. It was nominated for nine Academy Awards and won three of those awards for art direction, visual effects, and for the best cinematography. Indeed, the cinematography was, was remarkable, was spectacular. Um, there was in this movie this beautiful planet called Pandora uh, that had these giant waterfalls, flourishing rainforest, a vast array of, of different creatures of different sizes, and, and a kaleidoscope of, of various colors. But after the movie... After it had been out for some time, people who were real fans of that movie began talking about a syndrome called post-Avatar depression. Now, when we say that, we're saying some people even had suicidal thoughts as a result of this depression. And the reason for this is that they longed for this alien world called Pandora. As one news article described it, news reports have appeared recently speaking of people who see Avatar and subsequently fall into a deep depression at their inability to access a world in reality as beautiful, entrancing, and spiritual as Pandora. 
Well, as strange as that might sound to you, this syndrome is quite understandable in a fallen world. I mean, the longings, the groanings that we experience in this world, this broken world, this present age, aren't just obscure emotions by those who are prone to sadness. These feelings are felt by all of us deep down because we are currently aware that the present state of things are not the way they are supposed to be. We have a sense of nostalgia. Every human being, every image bearer has a sense of nostalgia of something that has been lost. But as believers, we also groan, longing for the restoration of all things. And really, that's what Genesis 2 is about. It's pointing us back to the way things were, but pointing us beyond that to the way things will be even more heightened because of the redemption that our Lord Jesus Christ brings. Now, the first thing we see, the first section, we, we saw last week that God breathed life into the man as he formed him from the dust. So we see his creatureliness, but we see his personhood as God's image bearer. And now we see the land that was entrusted to this image bearer. Uh, a garden, if you will. Now, notice with me in verse 8. And the Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east. And there he put the man whom he had formed. Now, I want you to notice that the garden is distinguished from Eden here. So Eden was an area of which the garden was a part. So Eden is bigger than the garden. The garden is in within the borders of Eden, but even Eden is larger than the garden. And, th and this is important. I, I will bring out later, but there's a tripartite, um, you know, creation here that, that will be um, seen in the building of the tabernacle, in the building of the temple. So this is pointing us forward. Now, Eden's garden has traditionally been termed paradise. Now, where did we get that? Well, the, the word here for garden in the Greek translation of the Old Testament is the word paradise. And so that's where we get this word. And paradise is picked up by the Greek writers, by the New Testament writers, to speak of the, the presence of the ascended Christ. So, for instance, Jesus on the cross looks at the repentant criminal who has trusted in Jesus, and he says, today you will be with me in paradise. What happens to your soul when it dies? Um, it goes in, when you die, it goes into the presence of Christ. Your soul never dies, but you die, your body dies, and your soul goes into the presence of Christ. There is no soul sleep. Or we also see that paradise is the concept that speaks of the eternal abode of every believer. So, for instance, Revelation 2, the one written by John, to the one who conquers, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, 
which is in the paradise of God. So the common Hebrew meaning of Eden is delight. So this is a garden of delight. And so Adam, of course, we're not given his name yet, but you know who it is. Adam is placed in a paradise of delight. And that's so important for us when we think about the fall. Well, notice in verse 9. And out of the ground, the Lord God made to spring up every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. And so the, the focus of this text quickly turns to the trees that are in the garden because they're going to be a major topic in chapter 3. Now, Eden here is characterized by trees which are yielding fruits that are pleasant in appearance and delightful to, to the taste. Again, notice, um, pleasant to the sight and good for food. Now, why is this important? Well, any notion that God is holding out on you is dispelled here. God is good. Any notion that he is stingy with our, the original image bearer is completely dispelled in this passage. As Nahum Sarna writes, the human couple will not be able to plead deprivation as the excuse for eating the forbidden fruit. So this is showing us how good Adam has it and how good God is. Now, in fact, a later scripture will make a connection between this garden and the land of promise because the land of promise will be essentially another garden of Eden, if you will, for God's macro Adam who has been called to do what the first Adam failed to do. So, for instance, in Isaiah 51, the Lord comforts Zion. He comforts all her waste places, speaking of the land after the, after the exile, and makes her wilderness like the garden of the Lord. He's saying in the day of restoration, this wilderness that has come as a result of judgment will be like the garden of the Lord in Eden. But even before that, Joel will tell us that the land is like the garden of Eden before them. And so the land of promise points back to the Garden of Eden. The Garden of Eden points to the land of promise. Well, notice we in the second part of verse 9. We get to two important trees here. The tree of life was in the midst of the garden, and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Now, I believe that there were literally two trees in that garden. This is not metaphorical. There's no reason for us to believe that Moses is writing metaphorically here. He is talking about something that happened in time and space. And, and two trees here are especially described here. The first is the tree of life. Now, um, that term occurs only in the book of Proverbs, elsewhere in the Old Testament. But it's important. Listen to what Proverbs um, 
3.18 says, Wisdom is a tree of life to those who lay hold of her. Wisdom. What is wisdom? It's literally a skilled master. We are it's skilled at doing the will of God. It's a tree of life to those who have it. Uh, the fruit of the righteous is a tree of life, Proverbs 11.30. A desire fulfilled is a tree of life. A gentle tongue is a tree of life. Now later, the John the Evangelist sees the recurrence of Eden as being re regained by the saints. And here's the language he uses, Revelation 2. We read this earlier. To the one who conquers, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. Revelation 22, 2. Through the middle of the street of the city, also on either side of the river, the tree of life with its 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. In other words, they're not monthly. Every month, the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. Then Revelation 22, 14, blessed are those who wash their robes so that they may have the right to the tree of life and that they may enter the city by the gates. Of course, to wash your robes is to trust in Jesus so that his righteousness covers your unrighteousness. It's for those who are in Christ. And then after the fall, Adam was excluded from the garden. Notice in chapter 3, verse 22, lest he reach out his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever. And that gives us clarity on what the tree of life is. Taking and eating of the fruit of this tree would result in immortality. You would never die. You would live forever. Uh, apparently, it was a tree whose fruit would keep you alive forever. That's the tree of life. Now, in that regard, think about God's mercy after Adam and Eve fall. If they could take hold of that tree of life, even after their sin, it would mean that they would live forever in a fallen and broken state. So even we, we see even mercy in God's judgment when we get to, to Genesis chapter 3. Now, what is the tree of the knowledge of good and evil? Now, that's a little more difficult to, to discern. Uh, but good and evil is speaking of totality. Like, the, as far as the east is from the west. I mean, you, you can't get further than that, all right? So th this is speaking of totality, which means that if mankind uh, eats of it, it would be that mankind would be aware of all things, both good and bad. Prior to partaking of this tree, though, humans were innocent and only had knowledge of that which is good. And, and the Lord had filled Adam with good things. Uh, that's the point of verses 10 to 14. A, a river flowed out of Eden to water the garden, and there it divided and became four rivers. The name of the first is Pishon. It is the one that flowed around the whole land of Havilah, where there is gold. And the gold of that land is good. Bdellium and onyx stones are there. By the way, these very stones are seen in the building of the tabernacle. Because again, 
the tabernacle is patterned after the Garden of Eden. So it's very intentional. The name of the second river is Gihon. It is the one that flowed around the whole land of Cush. And the name of the third river is the Tigris, which flows east of Assyria. And the fourth river is the Euphrates. So two of the rivers here uh, we can identify with certainty, the Euphrates and the Tigris. We don't know, really, we'd have to be speculating what these other two rivers are. But it would indicate that the garden was in modern-day Turkey or modern-day Iraq. It's really not that important for us to know, uh, but you do see how historical and, and geographically precise Moses is writing here. In fact, it, it would seem that the original audience would have known exactly what he was referring to here. And, and the presence of this great river flowing from Eden is even though it was a real river, it was also metaphorical. It spoke of the life-giving presence of God. And, and that's why you'll see in certain Psalms, like Psalm 46, there is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God's presence was manifest, in other words, in the garden. Now, he's everywhere. We know that. God is everywhere. But his, his Shekinah presence, his, his revelatory, his special revelatory presence, which was, it was unique in the Garden of Eden, just like it would be unique in the Holy of Holies, in the tabernacle, and in the, the temple, and in Jesus, and in his new covenant temple, the church, and in his new covenant people, every believer. So we see this here in the Garden in other words, Adam lacks nothing. He has the full presence of God. He has this remarkable um, plot of land that makes Pandora pale miserably in comparison. Uh, that's the point, I think, of this, this glorious description. But with privilege comes responsibility. And that brings us to the second part of this verse, this, our passage, this vocation that is entrusted to God's image bearers. It's an important vocation. Look with me in verse 15. And the Lord God, that is Yahweh Elohim, took the man, put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and to keep it. And so this is important for us to understand. Adam, as we already know, is the image of God. When God makes uh, Eve, she will be the image of God. So Adam and Eve are the image of God. In the ancient Near East, kings would put the images of their gods in their temples. But we see here the true God has put his real image bearers in the real temple, which is the Garden of Eden. Now, Moses has already pointed out in verse 8 that God put man in the garden. Now, he, here he tells us why. Uh, note that word put. It's a different word than the one used in verse 8. In verse 15, he says, he took the man and put him in the garden. That is the verb form for the noun Noah. Isn't that interesting? Nuah. 
So Noah is a name of a man we're going to meet later. His name means rest. The verb means rest as well. It's, it's, it's hearkening back to the Sabbath rest that God has enjoyed on the seventh day. And so uh, you could translate this. He caused Adam to rest in this garden, in this temple. Adam is resting in God's Sabbath garden. And God caused Adam, the man, to rest in the garden. Notice, to work and keep it. Those two verbs are so very important. And, and the reason for that is that this speaks to Adam's priestly duties. See, Adam was created as a king. That's image of God language. And now we see he was also created as a priest. You say, where do you get that from? Well, these two verbs, work and keep, are found several times in the book of Numbers to describe the responsibilities of the priest in the tabernacle. That's intentional. In other words, Adam and Eve were the first priest kings. And of course, we know in Genesis 3, they lost their vocation because of sin. And God is making all things new through the people of Israel. That's what we see in the book of Numbers. But let me give you one example. In Numbers 3, speaking of the Levitical priest, they shall keep guard over him. That is Aaron, the high priest, and over the whole congregation before the tent of meeting as they minister at the tabernacle. There's that word. They're to keep, keep guard. They shall guard all the furnishings of the tent of meeting and keep guard over the people of Israel as they minister at the tabernacle. The word minister there is the word work. That's the word, work and keep, keep and work. So Adam is the first priest. And he's working in the, tablet, in the temple, the garden of God. See how the Bible is connected? It's one grand story. Uh, mere man couldn't have written this. It's inspired of the Spirit. Well, that brings us to the law entrusted to this image bearer. He, he's been given this beautiful land, but with, with this privilege comes great responsibility. So he's given a vocation. But now he's also given a law to remind us that God has authority over him. You can't go rogue on God and live the blessed life. Notice me in verses 16 and 17 as we close out this passage. And the Lord God commanded the man saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. So here we see the first command of God. The first command of God is right here in verse 16. The Lord God commanded the man. Now, here is what's being inferred. God created us which means he has authority over us. He created you. 
He has authority over you, and he knows what's best for his image bearers. He created you, and he knows what will harm his image bearers. His laws are never burdensome. His laws are entrusted to us because he loves us. So here we see the first command, and there are things that Adam must do, and there's at least one thing he cannot do. Now, the positive instruction here is given as a great expression of God's goodness. Let me just say this. Every time I sin intentionally, I'm essentially saying, God, you aren't good. You have held out on me, and now I have to go supplement what you have not given me. Every sin that we, we commit intentionally, and even unintentional sins like anxiety and worry, I'm saying with my anxiety, you're not good. You're not really in control of things. I, I, all things don't work together for the good for those who love you. And so here we see the goodness of God. Note, every tree of the garden, you may surely eat. That is amplified language. This is evidencing God's broad provision. His broad provision. So the provision of God to Adam is plentiful and is to be enjoyed liberally. In fact, I think that much discontentment arises in our hearts because we have, um, we develop God's goodness amnesia. We develop amnesia for his goodness. And that's why we are to count his, our blessings. I remember growing up, we used to sing that song every week. I think it was the only song the, song the leader knew at our church. Count our, your blessings, name them one by one. But it was a good song because it reminds us that God is good. Here we see the goodness of God. Then we see there's one negative side. That there's one specific prohibition and we see with this prohibition that in our relationship with God he brings great privileges but there's also obligations to have this relationship and our response to that will mean either life or death is if Adam is faithful if Adam trusts the goodness of God there's the prospect of the tree of life and eternal fellowship. If he sins, if he's unfaithful, notice literally, eating you may eat and dying you will die. That's the literal translation. Of course, while spiritual death is a result of, of man's sin and man's fall, the physical aspect of death can't be overlooked either, even though Adam didn't die immediately. Uh, the text is very honest about that. He did not die immediately, and yet death began to enter the world. From here on, uh, we're going to see death on almost every page of the Bible. Um, so this is more than just the attaining of a of some kind of fruit from a tree, man is given the opportunity right here in the garden to define himself 
as one who either relates to the creator as God or to the creation as God. That's what it comes down to. He is giving Adam a choice. You can relate to me as the good creator or you can turn away from the creator towards the creation and trust the creation. One will lead to life. One will lead to death as it does today. Nothing has changed. Now, in that description uh, here of this relationship, we see a covenant. And I think this is important for us to understand. Now, it's been variously called different things. I prefer a covenant of creation, or you could call it a covenant of representation. Um, But a covenant is established here by God that has blessings, has obligations, and is of life and death significance. Now, why do we say there's a covenant here? First of all, note, in the ancient Near East, covenants always had stipulations. You see the stipulations here. If you, if you eat of all of these other trees and enjoy me, and you stay away from this one tree, you will live. Those are stipulations. In fact, you see the sanctions here. If you determine to be autonomous and eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you will die. And what is the prize awaiting Adam if he obeys? The tree of life. In fact, interpreted in the light of the rest of Scripture, Adam's role is clearly one of representation. He is representing us as our covenant head. It's impossible to get away from that. Romans 5, 12, through one man, sin entered the world, and death through sin, and death to all men, for all have sinned in Adam. He is our federal head. And so it's impossible to get away from that. Now, the actual word for covenant is not found until chapter 6, verse 18. And yet, the essential parts of a covenant are here in this passage. Moreover, in Hosea 6, verse 7, listen to this. In referring to the sins of Israel, the prophet says, But like Adam, they transgressed the covenant. So just like Adam transgressed the covenant, Israel would transgress their covenant, which was the Mosaic covenant. Now, why is this important? Why am I making much here of a covenant? Well, two reasons. First of all, this covenant reminds us that all mankind stand in covenant relationship to God. You see, when God made the covenant with Israel, he was just making it with a particular people. Adam represents all of humanity. So this covenant reminds us that all mankind stand in covenant relationship to God, which means, in a sense, everyone has a relationship with God, either as a covenant breaker or a covenant keeper. But they're in covenant relationship with God. And that's why when I approach someone to evangelize them, I don't have to spend a lot of time trying to prove the existence of God. I am speaking to his image bearer. God has put his law in his heart And this person has a relationship with God before I get to him as a covenant breaker. He knows, she knows that deep down she has broken God's law. 
That's why they struggle with guilt. That's why they struggle with a conscience that is always troubled because they are covenant breakers. We need to remember that when we approach sinners with the gospel. By the way, that's why all mankind have this sense of nostalgia of something that's been lost. All of us lost the garden in Adam. And and that's why there's always this longing for Eden. It's in every human heart. And we're not going to find it here, but God has given us the first fruits of the, the Garden of Eden in the Holy Spirit. But that's why we have this nostalgia, this sense of nostalgia that things should be better than they are. Yes, they should, because things are not the way they're supposed to be. Sin and the curse on sin has entered this world. The second reason this is important to remember that God made a covenant with humankind in Adam is that our relationship with God in Adam was conditioned upon Adam's obedience. Now, why is that important for us? The reason it's important for us to recognize this is that our salvation is also based upon obedience. Do you know that you are saved by works? You heard it here but not our works. We are saved by the works of the last Adam. We are saved by the obedience of the last, the true and better Adam, as we often sing about. Um, And think about this as well. So this Adam obeys where we fail to obey. And that's so important because... Uh, his obedience to the law is the very righteousness that's credited to us. But also, remember, what is the sin of disobedience? Or, or what is the consequences of disobedience? It's death. So this same last Adam who obeyed in our place also took the sanctions of disobedience in our place. That's why Paul would write in Romans 5, 19, through one man's sin, uh, many were made unrighteous, sinful. But one man's obedience, many were made righteous. And so Adam is the one who points us to the last, the, the true and better Adam. And so That's why it's such an offense when someone says they believe that God will honor their righteousness, their obedience. Kevin sent Adam and me today uh, a, um, what was it, a resume. Yeah, a woman wrote her own obituary uh, page for the newspaper, and basically it was a resume. Proven why God should let her into heaven. All the good things that she had done were on this resume. So that when she dies, God will have a resume to work from. And be so impressed with the effulgence of her glory that he can't help but let her in. But this passage reminds us, this woman is under the sentence of death. No matter what she tries to do to get into heaven, we need a a better Adam who will obey in our place and take the cross in our place. So let's close with this. Let's remember, first of all, 
that all humankind are in a covenant relationship with God because of Adam. And second of all, Adam's relationship to God in the original covenant is a picture of what Christ did for us in the new covenant. He was banished from the garden, so to speak, as he was put to death. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And then God restored him into his paradise through his resurrection. And that is our destiny. For all of us little Adams who are sinners like the first Adam, but who trust in the last Adam. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this passage. We thank you for this text, this inspired text, the word of God. Thank you, Lord, for giving it to us through the pen of Moses. Lord, I know that on a Sunday night, I'm speaking to a vast majority of people who've already trusted in the last Adam. Uh, They've already trusted in Jesus. They've already come to realize that they're covenant breakers. They deserve sin of death. They deserve the curse of death. But Jesus took the curse. But I pray that these passages would also strengthen their faith and their love in our Lord Jesus. But Lord, there may be some here tonight who've never trusted in the last Adam. And so... They are under the sentence of death for having broken covenant in Adam. I pray tonight they would flee to Jesus in repentance and faith. Lord, we pray your spirit would convict them, compel them to run to Christ and find salvation. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for worshiping with us today. If you felt the Lord leading you to respond today, whether that was to receive Christ for the first time or to take your next step in baptism, or if you have a prayer request, we want to start that conversation with you. Visit lakeviewbaptist.org slash contact to get in touch with one of our pastors. And as always, you can stay connected with us through our social media and website.